0: Well, I'm a professor here at UCLA and I've been working, doing research on uh, the Galactic Center for decades, many decades, and uh, um, among other things, but that's what I guess we'll be talking about today. Absolutely. So Um,
1: that's a perfect introduction. Um, Thank you so much, um, Mark. Um, would, Would you be able to maybe talk a bit about... I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about um, the black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, also reports recently about its expanded activity in terms of um, uh, growth of of the area of the black hole. Of course, also there was the international effort to photograph the center of the Milky Way galaxy um, for the first time recording in human history a black hole. Um, Maybe just more broadly, could could you maybe start by talking about um, why this research you're doing is important, not just for understanding the Milky Way, but also uh, universal origins um, and, and how that inspires you to do what you're doing?
0: Sure, yes. Well, the, the universe is ruled by gravity, and um, the, the trick for us as scientists is to uh, understand what the right law of gravity is. We we started off with uh, Isaac Newton's universal law of gravitation from several centuries ago, and that worked very well for a long time. But then uh, when Einstein came along and found that um, his own general theory of relativity gave a more fundamental view of what what gravity might be, um, th- we decided, as uh, as scientists, to um, adopt his theory rather than the old Newtonian theory.
1: Sure.
0: Um, and what, whatever gravity holds us to the Earth, or whatever holds the Earth in its orbit around the Sun, is is what really dictates the dynamics of the whole universe, in terms of. Uh, the role of gravity, so we really do need to understand it to understand how our universe has evolved since it was first formed in the big Bang.
1: thanks for sharing that i've I've looked recently at these um, these uh, graphs of gravitational fields um, and the way that gravity affects time-space. That's been a subject of a lot of discussion in recent years. Um, Could you comment on that briefly?
0: Yes, you might be referring to these uh, graphs, these two-dimensional images of uh, what might be termed a rubber sheet, where somebody has pulled down the rubber sheet in the middle and created a hole. Um, This is one way of... Viewing what the effect of a black hole is um, in two dimensions, rather than than uh, three dimensions, because in order to really see the effect of a black hole, we need to go to higher dimensions. But if we reduce it to two, it makes it a little simpler. So we take a rubber sheet, pull down um, a pinch of, a piece of it, and pull it down and create a hole. Um, that's our two-dimensional sheet being stretched into the third dimension. And uh, the things that are moving around in that uh, two-dimensional surface um, are responding to that, uh, to that hole. And um, for example, if they veer by it, they're, they're deflected off in a different direction and that's what happens to light as it passes by a black hole or, or as it passes by the sun light gets deflected uh, slightly by the influence of the gravity attributable to the mass of, of any object um, um, upon, upon whatever object is trying to orbit around the, the object.
1: Sure. Um, I, of course, in, in your description of the exercise to understand what a black hole would be in two dimensions. I think about the famous uh, original Cosmos episode where Sagan talks about flatlands and sort of the conception of a third dimension. I I found it very interesting what you mentioned in terms of understanding the physics of black hole as relating to uh, mathematical and also uh, spatial conceptions that go beyond the three dimensions. Could you expand on that a bit?
0: Sure, because um, space and time together constitute four different uh, dimensions. We live in our three-dimensional spatial world, and we have to regard time as a fourth dimension. Um, The the fact is that uh, gravity intermixes space and time in in some uh, profound way, so that we really have to describe our... A trajectory through space-time um, by referring to the full four-dimensional universe of three dimensions of space and one dimension of time. And um, the, um, we, our, our intuitions don't work well in four dimensions because we live in a three-dimensional spatial world. Sure. But mathematically, uh, one appeals to the mathematics of of a uh, four-dimensional space-time to describe, and and this is what Einstein did, to describe mathematically how uh, the presence of uh, a large mass, for example, can warp uh, the geometry of of space and time in its vicinity. When you get to talking about a black hole, uh, then you reach the extreme of warping of space and time Black holes are uh, fascinating for that because uh, you reach a point where um, depending on your perspective, uh, time can come to an absolute standstill if you're watching um, a black hole from a distance and and um, watching what may fall into a black hole, for example, it, um, it, it can time can come to a standstill because space and time get so um, mixed up in the in the warped geometry of space time around them, around a black hole.
1: You were recently involved in uh, a pretty major paper that looked at tracking the motion of stars um, at the center of, of this galaxy, the Milky Way. Um, can you talk about that initiative and and and? and how it was to be involved in that um it got a lot of response also outside of the scientific community of course
0: yes it, uh, yes it did and there are two groups in the world um, who have been following the motions of stars um, around the galactic black hole it's a black hole that has a mass four million times the mass of our sun and things orbit around it including uh, stars and uh, stars we can see even from our uh, rather distant vantage point out in the outskirts of our Milky Way galaxy. So we follow these stars as they orbit the black hole, and uh, at first we noticed that you could describe their orbits perfectly well using the same physics that Isaac Newton laid out for us, The, the same physics that he used to describe the orbits of planets around the sun. Um, Our goal was always to see how things might have changed when when you're in such an extreme environment, when when you have as as much gravity as 4 million times the mass of our sun can provide. Put put that in perspective. uh, Our sun already is a million times more massive than the earth. (laughs) And then we take another jump and say we're we're examining a black hole that's 4 million times The mass of our sun, so it's extremely massive, and we might wonder whether uh, the Isaac Newton description of gravity uh, breaks down. And indeed, that's what we found in uh, over the uh, past few years. Um, Actually, we've been monitoring these orbits for um, something like 25 years now, but in the past few years, it's become clear that the orbits are deviating from the very simple orbits that Isaac Newton would have uh, uh, computed. And we need Einstein's general theory of relativity to explain the orbits. So it's been a good test of Einstein's theory, but we are always asking the question, is is Einstein the last word? Is, Is there something beyond Einstein that we need to understand if we're going to really, truly understand gravity. So far, there's no um, chinks in the armor of Einstein's uh, <laughs> general theory of relativity. It, it seems to explain things quite well. So the, these orbits are almost um, what Newton would have said they they should be, but they they do have some slight deviation, and we'll be studying that for years to come to see um, more more and more, uh, whether it more precisely follows Einstein's prediction.
1: Um, Theoretical physicist Carlo Rovelli talks not just about um, space-time in relation to black holes and um, universal context, but also at the quantum level. I'm wondering in your studies about... um, black holes and uh, the effects of of the gravitational pull on stars and other objects uh, in the Milky Way, but also beyond. Um, Is there any thinking you've done? I I realize, um, you know, maybe this isn't published in a scientific uh, paper at this point, but is there thinking that you have done about sort of any mirror effect between the way that physics acts at that very, very tiny or in an imaginably small level in terms of the way the laws change um, and mirroring the ways that the laws of physics do change um, when, we, when we're talking about the mass of a black hole?
0: Well, of course, it's all the same physics. It's just that there's different scales, different effects come into play on the subatomic scales. Um, the description of black holes gets... Um, Complicated by the fact that you have to, you have at some point have to bring in quantum mechanics to describe what black holes are doing, and um, and and it becomes really fascinating. Um, so Stephen Hawking um, became famous for um, considering uh, what tiny black holes might do when you bring quantum mechanics into the picture. Uh, for example, a, a sufficiently tiny black hole. Um, with uh, the mass of only uh, a very large uh, mountain might be about the size of a proton and um, a, a black hole like that uh, could evaporate um, by spinning off subatomic particles and, and, uh, and uh, gamma rays and, and such things um, and so the the question was raised as to whether the universe has any uh, tiny black holes like that. But on an even deeper level, um, particle physicists um, talk about black holes in a different way because um, they need to bring gravity into their standard theory of, of uh, physics. Um, up, up until now, uh, the, the, um, uh, the standard theory of physics hasn't been able to bring uh, grav- gravity into the picture because it it, it uh, basically doesn't fit. It seems to follow a different set of rules, and um, and so it's been it's been quite a challenge. Um, there there is a branch of uh, physics um, of, of subatomic particle physics. Uh, that pursues the ideas of what's called supersymmetry which can incorporate gravity into the description of uh, fundamental particles of nature and uh, at, at that point um, you talk about um, particles and black holes tiny black holes but um, in, this, in the same framework on a day-to-day basis we who study these supermassive black holes don't don't uh, face those issues because quantum mechanics is so far removed from the pictures that we uh, have to deal with.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for offering your reflections on that. Uh, the last question I wanted to uh, ask you was in relation to I mean, you're based in California. Um, you're um, working there, but I, I'm sure also collaborate internationally always um, at through the UCLA. Um, your project's uh, involve, I'm sure, uh, astrophysicists um, in many different um, university settings and also other contexts. I'm wondering how it is to do this work at this time. I mean, the United States is in a, a pretty important political moment. Um, I, I'm j- I'm just wondering if, like, looking at these issues from you know a universal perspective uh, in terms of looking at the center of the Milky Way and having that cosmic perspective in in a very real sense, not in a mystical sense, but in in terms of your daily work. um, How does that make you reflect on where things are at with um, society in in, in the United States right now?
0: Well, that's an interesting question. Yeah, it it gives a a perspective, maybe the same kind of perspective that geologists have. Our our view of time is um, completely different from the, the typical view of time that the men on the street might have, because um, uh, we're thinking in terms of millions, if not billions of years, for things to happen. Um, The the, um, growth of a black hole may may take billions of years. The the, uh, time that it takes the sun to orbit around the center of the galaxy is... uh, 200 million hundred billion years—the time it takes light to reach us from the black hole at the center of our galaxy—is twenty-five thousand years, and so uh, all these vast stretches of time influence our thinking. And um, and and what's happening here uh, on Earth and in, in in our country here is uh, is all happening in a tiny span of time. And and um, one. We are tempted to look much further down the road uh, beyond a human lifetime uh, or certainly beyond the, the term of a of a president in terms of uh, the evolution of our society and um, are willing to accept that some things may change rather slowly over time, but that's okay because they will change or can change on much longer timescales. Um some of the things we worry about or that I worry about personally are, um, uh, climate change, which is happening on, on less than a human lifetime. And, um, for, for somebody with my perspective, that's a drop in the bucket and it's going to happen over, uh, you know, in some sense overnight before, um, humanity re- really realizes what is happening to it. So, um, That gives us a perspective of worry that um, we're not as as as, collectively as humanity goes um, responding quickly enough to some of the issues we face, Uh, the depletion of natural resources, the um, Mm -hmm. overpopulation of the planet, and the uh, the inevitable climate change that accompanies um, the, the growth of the population.
1: Mark, thank you so much for your time today.
0: You're very welcome.
1: I really appreciate it. Have a good evening. You too. Bye bye.
0: Bye.